This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Families have been celebrating firsts since time immemorial, including baby's first words, a child's first loose tooth, and little ones getting dropped off for their first day of school. But today, there are an entirely new and equally important number of major life milestones that kids and parents must be prepared to greet. For example, highly memorable high-tech moments such as your tween receiving the first cell phone or registering a child to get a first email address or even the first time that your kids create their Facebook profile, team up to play online video games, or send a sibling a text message. Entry into today's internet and online world can be a bumpy ride, complete with its own important concerns and hazards which modern parents must be prepared to address. Now that technology's influence on the modern family dynamic has become pronounced, ongoing, and hugely influential, the time to tackle these issues is here and now. As positive as influence of technology and online connectivity can exert on today's world, as responsible parents and digital citizens, we must always remember, children cannot be allowed to come of age in a digital world that we've left them unprepared to greet. In this part of today's show, we are going to get you prepared with one of today's leading online safety experts. We'll be right back, so don't go anywhere. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Peekaboo. Peekaboo, smile. Smile, buddy. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. <sighs> yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby, I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at autismspeaks.org signs, or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, And my guest for this part of today's show is Scott Steinberg, who's the co-author of Parenting High-Tech Kids, the Ultimate Internet, Web, and Online Safety Guide. Scott, thanks for joining us. I wanted to have you start off. You make a nice analogy in the introduction to the book about you know, the, the, the ways that we introduce our kids or the expectation we have that they're going to they're going to fall down, they're going to skin their knee, and that there's going to be some bumps and hiccups along the way when we're introducing them to technology. Talk about that concept a little bit, about the fits and starts that we have to go through. It's not quite so simple. Well, that's right. So it's a learning process. Of course, kids are sponges, and they're constantly learning from the world around them. And in the same way that they need to 
pick themselves up after they stumble and experiment and try new things. In the real world, they have to do that in the high-tech world as well. And what's interesting is, of course, you've got to give them a little bit of training wheels, as it were, when it comes to things like social media or portable mobile devices and communications devices. Like the rest of us, they could benefit from a little bit hands-on training and also a little bit of background input. And, of course, to be taught to respect some basic rules of communications and etiquette, the golden rule being primary among them. The golden rule being what, in your view? Well, if you always want to treat others like you would expect yourself to be treated and try and put yourself in their shoes. So empathy is a big piece of this. I think a lot of times kids and adults alike forget that when they go online, they're not actually in character. And even though they're only facing a screen, they are in public in one of the most public places available. I oftentimes say, by the way, breeze by your local stadium, catch a baseball game or breeze by your local concert hall, and you'll get a sense as to just how many people you're in front of when you're broadcasting messages online. So you really need to think about what you're saying, how you're projecting your image to the world, and making sure that you're being respectful of other people, and hopefully by acting positive and treating them forthright and upstanding manner, they'll essentially treat you the same. How do we begin to get this going? Because I think that the technology in, in many ways has become so seamless that it's just part of everything. I mean, kids are growing up. I mean, they're, they're, I, I, I do a lot of toy reviews, and I see toys that are aimed at 18-month-old kids to teach them coding. And you, know, you can, you, all over YouTube, you can find videos of six-month-olds swiping screens to turn pages of magazines. And, I mean, it's, it's just part of life. We don't even think about it in the same way that we don't really think about teaching kids, well, you know, you're going to learn how to walk here, so you got to be careful because you don't want to run into the street. I mean, that's it's you don't do that when you're when yeah. you're first learning with a child who's first learning to take a few steps. There there's something in between. So how do we begin to even start with the with the products for six month olds or nine month old or whatever that that involves screens yeah. and everything? How do we get them to look at that with respect? Yeah, it's a we? tough line to walk sometimes. Essentially what I would say is when it comes to those devices, think about some of the ways in which they might be used in your household and begin to have conversations around them as best you can, keeping in mind that children may be very young. The, the thing to keep in mind is how the devices might be utilized based on their features. So can they connect online? Can they allow people to communicate with one another? Can they allow you to capture photos and video and share those online? I think the best thing that you can do is to contemplate whether or not you should be introducing a high-tech device into a child's life and when. For example, I often argue that smartphones or these devices that allow them to communicate, you really don't want those on their wrist or in front of them until you really need to be in touch with them and you don't have ready access such as when they're starting after-school programs or extracurricular activities and the like. But you really want to have a household contract in place where you can discuss basic rules for high-tech usage so kids understand when devices are okay to have turned on, when they have to be turned off, what's an appropriate manner to use them, who are they allowed to communicate with. And really, I think the best thing that you can do here is to spend time with kids and the technologies to really sit down with them and show them some of the basics. It really goes a long way. Well, how do you do that? Take us through a, a well, scenario. Here, here's your, here's your first maybe. phone, Johnny. <laughs> well, I think part of that would be to before Johnny gets the phone, uh, talk about responsible usage and say, "Hey, look, here's a device that's going to allow you to connect with mom and dad, possibly grandma and grandpa as well, and other members of the family." But also keep in mind that it's not to be used during dinner or meals. It's not to be used at school. 
And you also have to think about the way in which you're connecting with people. Anything you say, you want to be as respectful as if they were standing there in person. And by the way, let's walk through some of the features, and let me show you some of the ropes as to how you can use this device. And by the way, it's possible as well that mom and dad might have put some software on there. We're going to keep an eye on you. We're not going to be spying, but you do want to be upfront with kids and let them know that you are present. When the cat is away, that's when the mouse tends to play. So just by saying, hey, look, we're not going to be completely oblivious to this. Uh, but here are some basic rules of the road, and we'll, we'll be keeping a watchful eye on you. Same way we wouldn't turn you out into the park or the street to go play uh, without having some idea of who you're with or what's going on and some basic training. We're going to do the same here. And by the way, you, you know, if you're going to use this device, your homework's going to get done. You're also going to spend time outside playing with friends. It's all about balance and moderation as well. Right. So there, there's all sorts of restrictions and uh other kinds of things to hopefully incentivize good behavior. But there is also the amazing capacity that kids have to know a lot more about these things than we do somehow. And to, ah, to, to quickly get up to speed and to maybe learn how to disable the tracking software that we put on there or other stuff. So that's a fine point that you bring up. And I think we oftentimes forget that in the case of high-tech devices and apps, the roles of student and teacher are often reversed because they're the digital natives. They're the ones who've grown up with these devices in hand since the earliest age and are oftentimes a lot more adept when it comes to adapting and learning new features and updates of these software programs and devices as they're introduced. So we have to keep in mind, rumor has it, we were all at some point a kid, and kids are very clever. In fact, more clever than we oftentimes give them credit for. So one of the best things that you can keep in mind when setting these up is to realize that kids can circumvent the best safeguards that you put on a device, no matter how tight those safeguards are. So really the best thing you can do is be a trusted guide, an advisor, a mentor of sorts who helps them make better decisions, who gives them the skills, the insights, the tips that they need to make smarter, better decisions so that when they do encounter questionable things online, and by the way, 100% of kids study show will encounter questionable things online, <laughs> that they can make good decisions and that they know they can feel safe and comfortable turning to you for questions and advice because so much of their activity is going to take place on mobile devices or devices that maybe are outside of your oversight and control. Yeah. You know, you talk in the book about some very specific things about anti-spyware and antivirus programs and uh, and how to protect kids against malware and phishing. Would you talk a little bit about those things? Because I think there there's it's so difficult. I mean, I, I mean, one of the things I have constant arguments with my kids about is that every time you go on a website, you could be downloading something that you don't know. Every time you click on a link, you could be downloading something. And their their computers are more likely to get virused up, I think, than mine, probably. So what what right. can we do? What are some specifics that we can do to protect mm -hmm. them and, and us because we're often on the same wireless network? Yes. So the first thing that I would do would be to pre-install firewall software packages as well as antivirus software packages. You might as well have a basic front line of defense. And by the way, a lot of those programs are now free. You don't have to pay anything to enjoy them and enjoy regular updates. And I would do that on your smartphone and tablet as well. They may take a different shape or form than a computer, but they are very powerful computers that fit in your pocket or your carry-on. And they can be subjects to these kinds of malware and viruses in the same way that your desktop would be. The other thing that I would say to do 
would be to also think about talking with kids about cultivating healthy paranoia, to be suspicious of links that people have sent them that they did not request to be sent, to think about when they get funky messages like, hey, click on this link, look at what I found out. Maybe don't go through with that, uh, to reach out and contact somebody by phone if, in fact, they claim to have won a lottery ticket yeah. from the state of Florida. You, you really, it's, it's, it's about saying, hey, look, you know, go to trusted websites. Maybe here's a range of websites. There's some types of places we can go if we want to download software. Maybe download.com is better than some random place in Russia or the Balkans. You, you just got to have those common sense conversations with kids and really teach them to be suspicious as best they can of everything and everyone, but within a reasonable and healthy parameter. A little bit of suspicion, a little dose of cautiousness never hurt. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Scott Steinberg. I'm Armin Broad, and Scott's book is Parenting High-Tech Kids, the Ultimate Internet Web and Online Safety Guide. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Scott about Internet safety and, and phone safety and a lot of other things. I'm Armin Broad. You're listening to Positive Parenting. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, what? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Yeah, you. It's me, your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious, and yours? Whoa. What happened to us? We used to be so much more active. But lately, you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check, change, control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broadfield. Just joining us, talking with Scott Steinberg, who's the co-author of Parenting High-Tech Kids. And we were just talking about uh, setting up some, some basic malware and phishing uh, ideas and some stuff to put on your, com on your computer and your phone. Can you give just mention some specifics of uh, a program that's good to put on a phone? Because I, I wasn't even really aware that there are things like that for phones. I know certainly there's, there's no sure. shortage of them for computers. Yeah, well, you can see McAfee, Trend Micro, 
Uh, you can see that Panda, for example, or AVG, all of these providers, Kaspersky, will offer a variety of software programs that work with a variety of devices, not simply desktop computers, that will be able to assist you with that. In fact, if you go online and look, you'll find a wealth of programs available for Android and iOS devices alike. And how can you tell which ones are good and which ones are just vehicles for delivering even more malware? <laughs> That is a tricky line to walk as well, yes. You've always got to be suspicious of what you've downloaded online. But if you use reputable and trusted sites, I find download.com has always been a good friend in the past, although okay. each and every person may have their own preference. Uh, what I would also say is you, you look for reviews, and you look for those reviews in high quantities. It's all too easy to fake, let's say, a dozen positive five-star reviews, but it's awful hard to fake 5,000 of them that say that this is a four-and-a-half-star rated piece of software. So in similar fashion that you would be browsing hotel reviews or resort reviews on TripAdvisor or restaurant reviews on Yelp, you could do the same with these programs. But again, some of the names that I've provided here are fairly well-known and trusted providers and shouldn't steer you in a wrong direction. I want to talk a little bit about some, some more of the hints that you have for introducing technology to kids. So we've, we've given them a phone and there's some restrictions on the phone. How do you set up a, a computer in a way that will allow the child to be able to have some privacy, or do they, I guess that begs another question about whether they should even have privacy with a computer, but, you know, do you do you believe, for example, that kids can have their take their laptop into the room by themselves and close the door, or should they be doing their homework at the, the uh, centrally located dinner table? So once upon Not a time, I was a teenage boy, and I would say every parent reserves the right to decide for themselves, but having formerly been a teenage male, you know the kind of crazy stuff that you can get up to. So I always advocate that as best you can, that you keep computers in a common area. However, of course, older kids especially will want to take computers in the room. They want to have mobile devices and the like. So you can put some basic safeguards into operating systems from Apple or Microsoft. You'll find that a lot of them will allow you to limit when devices can be used. They'll allow you to filter out inappropriate content and websites. They'll allow you to decide during which hours the device will actually be on and activated. You can actually buy all sorts of devices or directly access them through your network router that will allow you to shut off Internet access, for example, let's say at dinner time or at bedtime, and not turn it back on for specific users. But again, I think the main thing, and I always try and remind parents, is again, kids are pretty clever and crafty. They're going to find a way around any safeguard that you provide. So. The single best thing you can do is to be proactive here and really do your best to educate them in responsible high-tech usage to remind them at every turn that you're going to be there and paying attention and be part of their digital lives the same way that you're an active part of their real-world lives and also to help them make good decisions and know that when they do run into road bumps that you're there, you're not going to freak out on them and that they can come to you and have an open and honest discussion about the challenges they may face online. Well, I think you said something that's – probably the most important thing, which is that you, we want them to be able to make good decisions, and we want them to be able to make those decisions on their own and to hopefully be able to evaluate what, what are good choices and what are bad choices. How can we, without scaring the crap out of them, get them to be able to make these good decisions? A little if bit I of fear is probably a good that, idea, but yeah, you don't want them to be... And sell that. Yeah. So... I think probably the best way to do it is to sit down and have a frank and candid discussion, almost like you would about the birds and the bees, with them about some of the online dangers and threats, but to also talk about 
the many positive ways in which technology can enhance their lives because it does open up a tremendous number of frontiers, introduces you to people from all backgrounds and ways of life that you might not otherwise never have connected with. But you really do got to talk to them about the reality of, hey, you're going into these giant big open places and, hey, look at the football game. See the size of the stadium? You post something on Facebook, guess what? That's who you're posting it to. So think about what you're posting. By the way, do you want to go to college at some point? <laughs> Probably a good idea to keep it respectful and PC. And also teach them that the way you present yourself online, if you're making negative comments, doesn't look good. If you're posting all sorts of goofy photos, people tend to take things at face value. I think really having that open, honest, and logical conversation with them, showing how actions tie to consequences without having to freak them out, is probably the best way to tackle that. Wow. Because I'm I'm struggling, I guess, with this on, on a, from a variety of different perspectives. I mean, one is their brains are not developed in many ways to understand the consequences of their actions. And it's it's one of the things I know that's quite common is that I, I forgot what the number is, and it's growing every year, but it's something like 70% of employers are vetting potential employees looking mm-hmm. at their social media. And if you've got a bunch of of pictures on your Facebook timeline or, or on Twitter or anywhere else of you having all these wild parties or topless or, you know, whatever you, you, that stuff is, is really hard to get taken down Mm -hmm. if you can do it. And that is a big challenge. Well, yeah, that's the issue is part of it is understanding the permanence of information shared online because whether you think it's private or not, whether you flagged it as private or not, it has the opportunity to go public at any given time. And by the way, as you pointed out, it's awful hard to scrub. It's going to hang around for a while, and it's really going to influence people's perceptions. And, of course, kids also can't always connect point A to point Z or think about how something taken as a joke or or kind of a goofy action maybe be perceived as very serious by somebody else or lead to serious consequences. So really the best thing we can do as parents is to constantly guide and mentor them to try and get them as much information as possible and, again, to sit down and spend time with them. And I think maybe the key thing here is to understand how your kids are using technology. It's not necessarily about knowing the specific features of any given app or social network or device, although that's important, but really it's what are they taking away from the experience? Are they being respectful digital citizens and online users? Are they treating others the way that you would want them to be treated? I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing. Yeah, We're talking about hundreds of topics of discussion, hundreds of possible lines of that challenge or road bumps that they might run into. Yeah, And again, it's a big thing. And I think probably the most important thing is just to begin having these conversations at as early an age as possible and do it in the classroom, around the house, you know, wherever possible. We're, we're just sending kids out into the online wilderness without a lot of training and preparation. And it's when they go out unprepared, that's when the trouble starts. Well, We've been talking thus far about good behavior on their part. What do we do, and I guess some of this is going to be the natural byproduct of having the candid conversations that you're talking about, but how do we prepare them for when they are on the receiving end of somebody else's bad behavior, trolling mm. or cyberbullying or things like that? How how do we expect them or hope that they'll respond, and, and how do we get that message across? Well, I think a big piece of it is for us to take it seriously 
Typically what happens is we like to ignore problems and hope they'll go away, and that doesn't always happen, and it certainly doesn't always happen online, where things can spread like wildfire and tend to magnify and put kids uh, under a magnifying glass of sorts. So really, I think it's important to let them know that we're going to be there, that we're going to be a part of this process and help them noodle through the best ways to handle it. Sometimes the best way to stand up to a bully is to stand up to them and make a point and you know, rally people behind you. Sometimes it's best to let an incident pass if, in fact, it doesn't deserve or merit a response or there's not a healthy response to be had. And sometimes, depending on the situation, you may even have to call for professional help. I've heard plenty of cases where parents have seen cyberbullying online, had to get involved, call another parent. I don't know that experts agree that there's a single best practice for this. And I think the best thing that you can do, again, is be aware be involved, and be open and available to your kids so that you guys can try and come up with the best solution available to you as you work through each unique situation. The good news being there are more organizations and resources than ever that are recognizing that these kinds of problems exist and offer support and tools for you. And to remind the kids that they need to come and talk to you if something is troubling them about the way that they're being treated or some, something that, that, that they've witnessed about somebody else being mistreated online. Scott Steinberg's co-author of Parenting High-Tech Kids, The Ultimate Internet Web and Online Safety Guide. Scott, thanks for joining us. Great to have you. Of course. My pleasure. Thanks again. Hey, there he is. How's it going? I'm having a stroke. Are you going to shake my hand or what? I'm having a stroke. Wow, you're not even moving your arm. I'm having a stroke. Are you okay? I'm having a stroke. Your face looks weird, too. I'm having a stroke. Are you having a seizure or something? I'm having a stroke. When someone is having a stroke, they may not be able to say it with words, but their body language will tell you loud and clear. I'm having a stroke. You just need to know the sudden signs. Look for FAST, F-A-S-T, F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, or S, speech difficulty, then T, time. Time to call 911 immediately because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. Know the sudden signs. Face, arm, speech, time. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. 20 years ago or so, the Phoenix area was widely considered a cultural wasteland. Well, those days are long gone. Today, the greater Phoenix area is home to some fantastic museums and other educational venues, many of which are quite family-friendly. The Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix. Humans are hardwired for music, as evidenced by the existence of music and musical instruments in every known human culture going back thousands of years. This dazzling museum's collection of more than 10,000 instruments is guaranteed to engage, entertain, and impress. It features exhibits organized by instruments, geography, and artists like Elvis, Taylor Swift, Tito Puente, and a lot more. There's also a fascinating exhibit of mechanical instruments like Nickelodeons, music boxes, player pianos, and so on. And you won't want to miss the Experience Gallery, where you and your kids can strum, pluck, stroke, bang, stomp, and otherwise play instruments from every corner of the world. It's for all ages. There are one-day and two-day passes available, and admission includes a self-guided audio tour. Check out mim.org. Butterfly Wonderland in Scottsdale. 
The largest indoor rainforest in the United States is in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's truly a marvel. The experience starts with a short 3D movie about monarch butterflies and then moves on to the Emergence Gallery, where you can watch former caterpillars emerge from their chrysalises or cocoons. For those who don't know the difference, helpful and knowledgeable guides are available to explain that and a lot more. Then it's on to the Conservatory, where more than 3,000 butterflies and moths from around the world flutter among the lush tropical plants and flowers. Humans are asked not to touch the flying creatures, but the animals themselves didn't get that message, and they see us as convenient resting places, which makes for great photo ops. It's for all ages. Prices vary. Check out ButterflyWonderland.com. The Odyssey Aquarium. It's located in the same complex as the Butterfly Wonderland. This aquarium is the largest in the southwest United States. And frankly, I'd like to meet the geniuses who had the foresight to open an aquarium in the middle of the desert. The aquarium has exhibits that focus on geographical areas like reefs, kelp forests, and so on, as well as specific animal types. And there are several hands-on exhibits where you can touch rays, sharks, harmless ones, of course, and other animals. We really loved the bizarre and beautiful section where we discovered the walking batfish, but our favorite was the just-opened Odyssey Voyager. You sit in comfortable seats, and over the course of 20 minutes, the ship that you're in slowly moves throughout the ocean, making stops to explore sharks, sea lions, sea turtles, and the biggest rays you've ever seen. It's for all ages, family, and annual passes are available. Check out odysseyaquarium.com, and it's spelled O-D-Y-S-E-A, aquarium.com. You can get a lot more information about other games and activities and toys and wonderful things to do with your kids at our website, parentsatplay.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new show for you. Hey, but you know there's a lot more of this wonderful parenting show going on right now. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.